Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins hockey talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online. Another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a Patreon member to be eligible for weekly Boston hockey prizes and monthly Boston Bruins hand-signed jersey giveaways. Please go to patreon.com slash podcast and donate just $1 per episode. Many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show. What's up, Bruins fans? Welcome back to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is episode 273 brought to you by betonline.ag. Uh, we are back. I'm your host, Mark Allred, here with my friend Kevin O'Keefe and Dom Tiana. What's up, gentlemen? Oh, you know, just a busy week. Had a pretty decent Bruins week, but um, yeah, not so good in the beginning of the week, but we'll talk about it. What's going on, Dom? All busy week here, too, and gearing up for the playoffs. And, you know, I got a 101 OHL prospect reports to finish before the draft. So, yeah, I'm a busy guy. Jeez. That's awesome. And speaking of um, the draft and so on, uh, you were out at the CHL prospects game in Kitchener, Ontario. And um, that was awesome. By the way, I watched that game. That was incredible. It was. Um, It was an incredible game. Yeah, a lot of great talent. So. I'm sure you had a blast and got a lot of work done, but for the uh, the eye test of the of the uh, the next ones that are coming down the pipeline. Yeah, it was nice to see uh, the Bruins well represented there. There there had to be upwards of over 150 NHL uh, GMs and scouts there at the game, so the Bruins were also well represented. So it's good to see. Awesome. All right, before we get to our long list of things we need to talk about this week, we do need to talk talk about show sponsor, betonline.ag. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four in this year's national championship. Looking to place the wager on these games? 
Head over to the betonline.ag website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. That's CLNS50. BetOnline.ag remains your number one spot for all your updated odds and information, along with player props and great contests throughout the year. Your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and favorite Vegas casino games and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your popular sports and games. BetOnline.ag. It's where the game starts. All right, we are back. We just heard myself talk about BetOnline.ag. And please go and use that, the website for your your gambling needs. And and please do it responsible. But also, please use the code CLNS50. All right, let's get into the hockey talk. We have two games we're going to discuss last week, uh, starting on Tuesday night. Um, the Boston Bruins were were on a four-game winning streak, beating the Winnipeg Jets, beating the Montreal Canadiens, beating the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, and then beating the, um, the New York Islanders. But then having two days rest, which was kind of a little bit of a concern to me, but coming into TD Garden against a uh, the higher-ranking Toronto Maple Leafs and and really blundered it. I, I just I don't have another word to say, but. Um, they were not ready at all from the get-go. Uh, from the goal out, I was disappointed in, in the effort all around. And uh, that was a game that I automatically get really hyped for because it is an original six matchup. And they are being very competitive in the Atlantic division. So this was a, um, a really disappointing one for me. But games like this are going to happen, and I totally understand that. Um, but um, it's it's a cause for concern when you're looking at the playoff pictures, in my opinion. But let's get the uh, the thoughts on uh, this game from Kevin. Didn't show up. I mean, it, it was like you said from the goal out. I, I don't want to put Swayman looked nervous, like he wasn't ready for. It. Maybe it was in his head that he was going up against you know the great Austin Matthews. And, you know, Mitch Marner and, you know, the other guys that they have there who can put the puck in the net, maybe he was rattled a bit. But then you look at the defense and what were they doing, especially Clifton? What the hell was he doing? Carlo didn't have that great of a game. It was it was a it was a mess back there. And when you can't transition from defense to offense, that's going to make your offense suffer as well. And I just didn't see enough to make me feel really good in that game. Now, they made a push, but that was towards the end of the game when they only had, when they were down two defensemen. I mean, it was it was just a it was just a messy game. Uh, I mean, they were due for a stinker. I will say that, but not like that. You know, it's like that's the game you got to be ready for. Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, total no show and a shit show, if I can call it that. Um, they just weren't ready. And I mean, I'm not going to put much stock into it. Um, I'll be more concerned if on game 82 of the season, they do, they show up the same way against the Leafs. Um, like you said, Mark, these games happen once in a while. It's too bad because, you know, th- that was a legit shot of trying to secure home ice 
in the first round and it just wasn't there um obviously cassidy wasn't ha- happy he made some lineup changes last game <laughs> yeah so you know he wasn't happy some some changes were out of necessity um and i agree with kevin about swayman i think if it were me i would have pulled him a little bit earlier i absolutely i knew when when the leafs had put three on the board that it wasn't going to be swayman's night and to get something out of the game that's when they should have made the switch because it was obvious he just didn't have it from his rebound control to his handling of the puck you name it he just did not have it that night (laughs) am i worried about him i'm not worried about him because coach bob will get him back on the right path yeah i i totally agree on that there's there's definitely room for improvement when it comes to jeremy swayman and and he's still learning he's still you know rookie status um, coming into his first legitimate playoff um, games and, and not just being uh, somebody that you can lean on as a backup in, in, in a situation where, you know, your starting goaltender gets pulled and you bring in a fresh guy to try to, you know, get the, get the bench riled up a little bit. But, um, no, I mean, um, this game to me is and, – and I'm going to cherry pick from the morning brew and Billy Jaffe and, and Andrew Raycroft. They do a fantastic podcast. I think we all listen on this panel. Uh, but Andrew Raycroft mentioned a lot of things about Jeremy being nervous. He had family in town. It was original six matchup, um, you know, but the small concern for me, guys, is just that playoff type atmosphere. And if you're nervous in that atmosphere, what are you going to actually do in a, uh, in a in a first round series against an opponent and, and where the action is coming at you that much harder? It's, it's a totally different season. Um, and 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 to Dom's uh, to Dom's point about uh, Bob Asenza, it, it there is enough time for him to get watch video, um, do a little more puck you know uh, zone entries and 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 seeing uh, where you 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 can direct the pucks away from the action and in danger zones and so on. But uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. But there is a just a small aspect in the back of my head that says. You know, if he's playing nervous in this game, what's he going to do in their seven-game series? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Ray Kropp because he said something. Now, Razor's a, a former professional NHL goaltender, so who am I to to disagree with him? But uh, he made the comment something along the line that they're at home and you don't. He's got friends and family there. And you don't pull them in the middle of the period. You make the change at the end of the period. I I can understand if that get, was game 10 of the regular season. Uh, but, you know, we're fighting for, for home ice advantage here and trying to get ready for the playoffs. And uh, I don't care at what point it is during the game now. If you see your goaltender doesn't have it, it's time to make the switch. And... Uh, you know, they, they gave away two points. They, it was just, I would have been happier if they had lost in a shootout. <laughs> That's you know, at, at least they would have got something out of it, right? Yes. And, and to your point, Mark, with the whole how is Swayman going to be when it comes to the playoffs, I mean, we saw a glimpse of that last season when he went in against um, the Islanders. I believe it was game four. 
four or five, one of the two. But he went in for the third period, first shot, goal. I mean, I understand this is a different year and he's got more um, more time under his belt, but showing up like he did against the Leafs in what wasn't a playoff game, but going into the game, it had that feel because this is the team that you need to beat so you can leapfrog them and get that home ice. Now, what's going to happen if it's a game seven against the Leafs round one? Is he going to be too nervous to play? I mean, I hope not. Only time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. Things to think about. And, and we, by far, we're not trashing the player at all. No. We, you know, we, we're given the the ample opportunity for him to rebound and and so on. And and I think I think he'll do it. I, I it's just you know it's coming down to that time where we just all have to come together. Your defense and your goaltending have to be one. And 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 the goal is to not have one get by you and and do the best you can and the defense definitely needs to step it up too. Uh, Connor Clifton had a really bad game and um you know Brandon Carlo continues to struggle he's on a roller coaster this season um but I don't know it's just uh it was tough to watch actually you know and and, and definitely tough to even pop on Twitter <laughs> Clifton bummed me out yeah bad I was like, dude, you've been doing really well lately. You've been, it, it seemed like, you know, getting a guy like Josh Brown in there kind of um, started to pro- propel him towards what we want him to be able to do as a bottom pair right defenseman. But that game was a huge step back for him. It was tough. Yeah, I mean, but that's what you get with Clifton. It's exactly what you get. He goes and stretches. I've honestly, guys, I'll say it. And I don't care who comes at me on Twitter, but um, Connor Clifton is not a number six NHL defenseman. Agreed. He's not because you don't get the best of them 82 games a year. In the playoffs, if, if he's my number six for for 27 games or however number they play, uh, you're not winning. I agree. Yeah. He might be able to give you a series against Washington, which he did. But beyond that, um, moving on to the next game uh, last week, it was Thursday night at the TD Garden against the New Jersey Devils in a big bounce back game. You had one day of rest, and um, I think that the message uh, got you know told that we need to come out, we need to um, battle hard, and we need these two points regardless of the opponent. New Jersey's not very good this year. Um, you know, not like Toronto on Tuesday night, but it was a big statement game, and they just beat the bag out of the uh the Devils <laughs> eight to one. Um, an unbelievable effort from Brad Marchand, David Pasenak, Matt Grizzlick with four apples. It was just one of those nights, and um, and it was kind of a response win uh, to the Maple Leafs game. And uh, Linus Allmark was solid in net. Um, uh, we didn't get to we uh Connor Clifton was uh taken out of the lineup and Josh Brown was was in the lineup and and you know it was a good thing that Josh Brown gets in there gets a fight going on you know welcome to Boston kind of thing but that was pretty much it for him for the game really didn't get to see much of him and his um his defensive uh responsibilities and how he can act on them so hopefully we get to see that maybe even uh tonight against Columbus or maybe even in Columbus so um, thoughts on uh, this New Jersey game, starting with Kevin? Uh, I mean, 
what it, like you said, bounce back game. And, you know, and sometimes it takes a game like what you saw in Toronto to see a game in what you saw against New Jersey. I mean, it was night and day. And I know I've used this statement plenty of times, but it, it holds true here. I mean, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that's what that was the perfect the perfect way to show what this team can be, you know, where sometimes you're not sure what you're going to get. And I understand that, you know, the teams are different. You have Toronto and then you have New Jersey, but it's still an NHL team and there's parity in the league. And to put up eight on any team in the league, that's a big deal. They were really feeling it. They came out pumped up. They wanted to bounce back and they did. And another name not to, um, not to sleep on there is Jake DeBrusque. What a game. I mean, he was in there. I believe he had a he had a goal and two helpers, I believe is what he had. I yeah. could be mistaken because I didn't look that up. I should have. Dom, it's your fault. But um Thank you, you should have had that for me, Dom. And then <laughs> I nodded, didn't I? <laughs> he did. He he agreed. Thank you, Kip. But um it's just one of those games where you're really happy to see it. Mark McLaughlin getting on the board, BC guy, you know, Bill Ricker native out of, uh, out of uh, Massachusetts. What a shot too. He had, that was a nice little one T from the slot uh, pass from Frederick. And you love to see that the kid was pumped up. He had a good game. He looks good. Uh, still a lot to be excited about with that game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a bounce back. And it, to, to me, it was, a matter of uh, showing what they can do. Now, um, if it's Carolina or Tampa or Toronto, they're not going to put eight past it. But if they play like that, they can shut them down. And and that's the key in the playoffs is being able to shut the opponent down. Now, Kevin already touched on Jake DeBrus, so I'm going to touch on a player who gets a lot of shit from NHL Bruins fans for his lack of physicality. And, and I saw you pointing there, Kevin, um, and all that. And it's Mike Riley when, uh, miles Wood uh, threw that tremendous check, which was a clean hit by the way on yep. Charlie McAvoy. Um, no hesitation went right after him and, uh, uh, kudos to him for standing up like he was physical in that game uh riley was actually quite physical i think it was brick who said it during the prop podcast uh that woods uh was lucky it was uh it was uh mike riley that went after him because trent frederick was coming in with eyes wide open right so um it's nice to see the team bonding that way mike yeah. riley yeah i mean it's funny too because I knew I knew that's where you were going with that. Like I just had a feeling because we've talked about this before. Mike Riley actually has been playing more physical as of late. And it's helping it's not only helping himself out to be in the lineup, but it's helping the team out because this team needs that type of physicality, especially in the playoffs. And when it comes to Brown, I mean he plays his best hockey when he can be physical when he can get the body on guys other than that he's a pylon in my opinion like he's just he's there he's probably going to get burnt but if you can give me a pairing of riley on the left and forbort on the right 
I'd be happy because I think Fulbright on his I offside. Think it's the other way around. Other I, way around. That's, I don't think so though. Uh, I think Riley. I think Riley is better suited on his left side. I don't like what I saw from him on his right side, and I think Fulbright, who plays more of a more of a, a shutdown, you know, stay in your lane type of game. I think he'd be better on his offside, and he was touted to us to be able to play his offside. Yeah. So I don't see why we haven't seen that yet. I don't. I don't understand. I, I to this day will never understand. But I think. Uh, all right. So let's go with what you said. Whether it's Riley or Fulbright, I think either of them on their offside is a better option than Brown or Clifton every night. Yep. One hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. And I. I know there are Mike Riley haters out there that are just not going to agree with us, but give me the lineup that gives you the best chance to win. And yeah. to me, that's Connor Clifton not in the lineup. Yep. Yeah. Clifton and Brown being death pieces. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. No, that's what I was going to say. It's like all these guys are going to be, you know, vying for um, position coming down to the end of the season and, and into the playoffs. And, I think Mike Riley is going to be heavily leaned on because of that game against New Jersey and so on and how we stepped up. I mean, that's that just speaks volumes to the coaching staff and so on. Um, you know, and, and to have a Clifton, um, you know, as a depth guy isn't, isn't bad. You can use him in a case of an emergency. But like, like Dom said, you have to put the lineup together that's going to get you the two points going down here because, you know, the Boston Bruins have moved back into the first wild card spot. They're three points behind um, – um Toronto in the Atlantic I think that's two yeah yeah it's two three two behind, uh, behind Tampa three exactly behind that's that's what I was looking at numbers they're all messed up in my head um <laughs> but uh you know and it, it that that Toronto game was really really when you look at the standings if we won that and then beat New Jersey that like they did we'd definitely be sitting a little more comfortable right now um, we'd be behind, sole possession of second place yeah right behind florida who's leading the way with 98 points and having a tremendous year um yeah but- well, there, there's another player we should touch on in that game because because of bruins fans hatred towards a certain player and that's Anton guess Bleed. oh sorry yeah I, you were gonna i was gonna guess eric Halla, so continue uh no because uh bruins fans are coming around to hall but are they though is it out of necessity yeah. because there's no more deadline? <clears throat> no, I think or is it because around. they're actually coming around on them? The the fans I talk to, they're coming around on them. Well, I'm going to go with the former more. for most. They're, I feel like there are the, plenty of them that think he deserves consideration for the Nesson Seventh Player Award. So, um, but bleed, what a game he had against against Jersey, and good game. Now. Everybody's talking about sitting Felino to keep bleeding the lineup. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's tough because we've talked about this before too. I mean, I've been. I think we've all three of us have been beating the um, the bleed drum for a while on how good of a player he can be, how he deserves to be in this lineup. But when it comes to Felino he has things that he can give to this team and intangibles that bleed can't. And when it comes to the playoffs, you're going to want to rally around a guy like Felino. You're going to want to get him that cup. 
You know, now whether or not what they do is they have bleed in for certain games and Felino in for certain games, I'd be fine with that. You know, kind of allow them to interchange, especially during the regular season, given um, given Felino time to rest up for the playoffs too. But I mean, certain matchups, put one of the two guys in. I mean, I don't see an issue with it. Yeah, I mean, you could do the same with with um, with Connor Clifton if you're playing let's say Washington, because I really, really do like the way Clifton handles Alex Ovechkin. I really do. Uh, But he doesn't handle everybody the same way. So pick your opponent, pick your, your spots where you can use these guys. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough call between bleed and Felino. Will they sit Felino for bleed? I don't think so because uh, like you said, Kevin, too many intangibles there to to take out of the lineup. Leadership, too, is a big quality, mm-hmm. especially on this Boston Bruins team moving forward. Um, you know, this, this organization has been known for players that are like that, veterans that are always there to, uh, to lean on with the younger crew that, you know, haven't been in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals before, new members that are coming to the team that haven't seen a postseason yet. So it should be interesting – how everything comes together. Um, and it really should be interesting on how the the month of March is going to work out because it's, there's a lot of um, a lot of interesting matchups there. Uh, it's it's going to be hard and heavy uh, coming down to the wire. And, and here's a quick little example of that. Uh, game 7, 2019. Who did they sit? Oh, shit. David, I don't Backus. David Backus. They sat David Backus, even though he could have went out there and played a very physical bottom six grindy type game, which they needed in a game like that. And they could have rallied around that guy facing his former team in the blues. And they could have really, really, I'm not saying they win the game if they put Felino in, but why sit him in that, in that situation? That's, I mean, not, sorry, not Felino, uh, Bacchus. Why sit him in that situation? I mean, and I feel like if you were to sit Fel- sit Felino in the playoffs, I think it would kind of be the same type of deal there. It's like that's a guy you can rally around. That's a guy who – imagine imagine David Backus in the locker room in between periods one and two of that 2019 playoffs. Oh, he would have been – he would have been going nuts, pumping the team up, but instead he's sitting on the ninth floor. And it's not just the fact that they sat Bacchus. They sat him for Carson M.F. Kuhlman. And I won't tell you what the M.F. stands for. because, Yeah, yeah that was a tough one. Um, another year that, you know, just the, that bad bounces uh, ruin everybody's day. Mm. Um, why don't we move on to the next topic? And that is uh, North Bill Ricca. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, recently retired Boston Bruins goaltender Tuka Rask was honored before the Devils game on Thursday night. Says he's going to be an ambassador for the team. Um, thoughts on his career and um, and his new role, which which could open doors for something else in in the uh, and possibly in management. Who knows? Like uh, you know, player development or something like that. But um, go ahead, Kevin. In my opinion. Best Boston Bruins goaltender of all time. I don't care about the team award of a Stanley Cup, even though he does have one as a backup goaltender. Um, he, he was just 
he was so poised. He had two runs that were very similar to uh, Tim Thomas's run in 2011 with a lesser defensive core. I need to point that out because the re- one of the biggest reasons why that 2011 team won the cup was because their defensive structure and, the, and their defensive core was so rock solid. I mean, I mean, obviously Thomas had an incredible run as well, but I don't know if he does that w- without that defense. They were absolutely incredible, and they saved his bacon more times than I can count on on two hands in that in that uh, Stanley Cup Finals. And um, but for Tuukka Rask, it's just I I almost teared up. Like I was at my bowling league too on Thursday, so I didn't even get to hear it. But just seeing him with his family standing there, God, I, I almost I was just. It sucks because his career was ended by injury. Not He didn't go out on his own terms, and that sucks. He could still be here playing for us right now. And how much better this team would be if they had a Tuka Rask behind this defensive core? My God. you know. But, but a lot of people will turn around and say, oh, well, he's a choker. He's this, he's that. I don't want to hear that shit. I mean, if you're going to sit there and call Tuka Rask a choker, this, that, and that, then I'm sorry. You just don't have you, – you really shouldn't be talking about it. You really shouldn't, and I don't care. I'm, I'm going to say that because it, it really it really strikes a nerve with me, you know, when it comes to people hating on him because he didn't win a team award as an individual. He, he wasn't able to get a hat trick and get a shutout in game 19. I mean, sorry, in uh, in 2019 of, ga- of game seven, so he's a bum. And I just – I think we should move on to Dom. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, Dom. I don't know where I rank him um, in terms of my favorite Bruins goaltenders because there's Tuca, there's Timmy, um, there's Jerry Cheevers. Hell, I was a huge Reggie Lemelin fan for, um, you know, breaking the Montreal curse. Um, so, I, I mean, he's up there with one of my favorite. I think Jerry Cheevers is probably my favorite. In terms of where he ranks, I don't know. Like, I mean, I never got to see Tiny Thompson play, but uh, incredible numbers uh, in in the NHL. I, I I think if the Bruins were to retire a number for a goaltender, uh, I think they'd have to start with Tiny Thompson. So that that's the way I look at. What two could be up there eventually? Yeah. Uh, for some reason, they just don't retire goaltender numbers. And as a matter of fact, I think probably Jerry Cheever's number would would get retired be, before Tuka's. But the ambassador job, I think Tuka made it very clear he doesn't want a management role, Mark. Uh, this is something that he would like to do as, as an ambassador. And you know, get to shake people's hands. I I don't think he's interested in any type of coaching or development position. No, that, that's fair. And, and he did mention that he liked to do this handshaking and so on and take clients out to play golf because he's an avid golfer and so on. So, I mean, that's always good. But looking back at, at Tuka's career, uh, he's the all, Bruins all-time leader amongst goaltenders in wins with 308 postseason wins with 57 games played with 564 and postseason games played with 104 uh rask ranks third 
in NHL history and save percentage. That's 921 behind two unbelievable goaltenders, Dominic Asik and Ken Dryden, uh, both who have uh, 0.922s. And um, Rask is uh, one of 39 goalies in the league history to reach the 300 win plateau. So um, nothing to, uh, you know. It's, you know. it's hard to say where he ranks amongst Bruins goaltenders. But one thing's for certain, he is the best goaltender ever to play in the NHL drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love the jabs, my friend. I absolutely love it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another topic. Um, North Beale Rick is own. Mark McLaughlin makes his Boston Bruins debut versus the New Jersey Devils and scores a goal in his first game in front of families and friends. Uh, we did touch on that a little bit earlier, but um, what, a, what a moment for a mass native. Uh, one of five in league and in, in team history, franchise history, to score a goal in his first game. And and with the with the amount of years that this Boston Bruins team has been around since 1924 and and you know and having years and years of of talent locally, that that number really surprises me that 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 it hasn't happened more often. And I know it's it's a real shake of the dice when you get a kid in there with absolutely no NHL experience coming from Boston College, NCAA. It's it's a it's a tough transition, but I thought he really held him his own. I think he used his body. He was a physical aspect out in the ice, and I think he was good in in his gap control by, um, you know, that play with Trent Frederick. It got away from a back checker really effectively to set himself up for that one time snipe past. Uh, I believe it was uh, the backup goalie. I can't remember his name. He was a main Mariner this season. Um, Gillies, John Gillies, uh, basically just, you know, his the first shot on Gillies that was taken was from Mark McLaughlin. So, I mean, shout out to him and, and family and the crowd. It, I mean, the, the whole crew up there was having a blast. And uh, the Sally from him was just an, an ultimate one for your first goal. Mm. So um, any more thoughts on Mark McLaughlin and, and where he fits in? I mean, where do we go from here from with him? Is this just so... Hey, you know, let's get you a taste, and and we need you because you're recovering from somebody else that got taken out of the lineup, or is he somebody that could be something in process moving forward, and and somebody that maybe a younger guy that Cassidy can have a little more trust in. You know, it's funny. Um, I was I, this goes back a little bit because I was watching a BC game. It was against Providence. Um, and I was I was watching because I, I was I was looking at at McBain, of course, you know, because I was big on the hype train of getting that guy in here. But I, I noticed McLaughlin and I was like, this kid's good. I mean, this kid's really good. And he scored two goals that game, one of them being the OT winner. And I turned to my girlfriend and I said, I highly doubt the Bruins are going to be able to get McBain. But I do think they have a good shot at getting this Mark McLaughlin kid, and I'd love to see them do it. And then um, they got him, and I was pretty thrilled about it. A lot of people were. You know, a lot of people were pretty thrilled about it because he's he's got a good game. He's got a good game, and I think it translates well to the NHL. Um, now, 
aside, aside from that goal that we saw for him, which was a fantastic goal. I mean, like you said, he positioned himself very well. Um, he was able to put a nice shot. And, and what I liked about that shot too, is he went across his body to make sure that it went far post instead of trying to rifle it right at him when he was sliding side to side. He really caught him off guard there with that shot. And that's a good shot. That's some good hockey IQ. I really enjoyed that. So, But aside from that goal, he played the game well. Like you said, he wasn't a liability. He was up and down the ice at a good pace. You know, he's, he was just – he looked NHL ready. Now, does that mean every game's going to be like that for him? Probably not. I think he's definitely going to – I mean, we all know here. We're, we're all that type of – the type of people to say, you know, let's give him some time in Providence, really work on his professional game a bit. Um, you know, like you like to say, Mark, the AHL game comes at you a lot faster. So allow him to kind of get that pace going because not every game is going to be against the New Jersey Devils at the, at the Boston level. That was a good game to get him into, to get his feet wet, but giving him some time in Providence, allowing him to maybe play on that top line or the second line there. Um, for for me, I I don't know. I, I like to see him play at the center position because we are in desperate need of, you know, center depth, but I don't think he'd ever be a first line center. So maybe there is a point to put him on the wing, maybe, but then you got LaSalle there, you got Steen there. So it's, it's almost a little bit of a log jam, but I, I think, I think if he does really well in Providence, he'll see more games here in Boston uh, up the stretch, especially when they need to rest people. Dom, your thoughts on um, Mark McLaughlin? First, uh, it looks like Riley's going on the right and Forbert on the left for tonight. Sorry, Kevin. There it is. Dom is right, and I'm wrong. There it is. So, McLaughlin, to me, it was never a point or a question on whether the Bruins were going to sign him. <clears throat> other teams were interested, but he was going nowhere other than Boston if a contract offer came from Boston. Um, <clears throat> that said... Uh, I don't put too much stock into one game because the adrenaline level is through the roof when you're playing your first NHL game. So uh, you have to take that into consideration. Second, how much time is it going to be? I think barring injuries or resting someone, he's just here to burn the year off his entry-level contract. He's, he's not getting regular time barring those because – who are you going to take out of the lineup to play him? Mm-hmm. Valid point. Very Nobody. valid. So he's just there to get a taste of what the NHL is like, fill in for injury, and uh, maybe rest somebody. Uh, I do believe the Bruins want to develop him as a center, not a winger. Uh, I really do believe that. And uh, uh, it wouldn't surprise me now that he's burned that year, whether – that he goes down to to the AHL and Providence after maybe one more shot in the NHL or one more game. Yeah, and he, he could very well could be an effective player down in Providence with a Ryan Mujanel, um system. And uh, those guys down there that's currently sit, sitting in the second position in the Atlantic Division in the American Hockey League and, uh, right, and right behind um, – the Springfield Falcons, I mean, the Thunderbirds, who are, are leading the way. Um, 
it, both teams played last night and it was a zero zero tie through 60, but Springfield came out and won it in overtime. It was a tough one. Uh, Troy Grosnick really played well. It was tough to see him lose that one, but um, you know, Providence is really starting to, to pick it up a little bit. They've been, um, you know, traditionally they always start at the big bottom of the division and work their way up uh, to the front of it, like mid season when everybody gets healthy and the NHL uh, parent team is, is, uh, you know, done cycling through their, their injured players and so on. So uh, he could definitely be a valued asset down there. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what happens with Fabian Lysel. Um, he could also be a, a, an addition to the, to the right side uh, in Providence uh, when, once his commitment with the uh, WHL uh, Vancouver Giants is over. So there's some good pieces that are going to be, uh, you know, down there. And I think McLaughlin will, uh, will, kind of thrive a little bit and, and really round out his professional game by getting the experience down there as well. And then, you know, a, a, a long summer in Boston working out with the team, who knows where he fits in next year's lineup when there might be a few departures that allow him to like secure a spot. I feel like you're the perfect guy for all this stuff too. So, you know, there's, there's been some other movement in Providence that I think we should definitely talk about. I mean, uh, Boston Bruins did trade Brady Lyle, who had another full season on a two-way contract uh, to the St. Louis Blues for future considerations. What what is a type of move like that mean for the Providence Bruins? For, for me, it was kind of weird. I thought, and, and and I'm not saying that Lyle was playing like a, at a high a high level this year. Actually, I thought he regressed hard this season, and I kind of think that maybe it was because of the landscape in front of him that had him a little bit. I don't know, maybe nervous about where he fits in the organization. And he might have, I don't have any information on this at all, but he might have asked for a trade because of that landscape in front of him. And he might have a better opportunity with another organization working from the American Hockey League up to the pro level. And whether he gets to the St. Louis Blues, that remains to be seen. But um, but it does open up a lot of speculation, um, you know, with that roster spot. There's a there's a, a plethora of left shot defensemen down in Providence right now, and does that does that move the needle to sign somebody else out of the NCAA? And I had this in the agenda, and 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 I don't know. I'm just kind of getting the feeling that Mason Lowry might be might be a one and done at Ohio State, and I'm not saying that I want that to happen. I don't want this aggressive uh, approach. To, to get him in the pro levels, but it, I'm just getting the vibe. The Boston Bruins want to get him involved sooner rather than later in case they don't go all out this season and possibly get him involved in, in, you know, um, I don't know how to word this, but get him involved sooner rather than later. I'm not saying at the NHL level, but just that the pro system, the pro feel and so on, and then evaluate from there going forward into next season. I I truly think that Lorai, I, I I the way I look at his season, his freshman season, I don't think there's much more he can learn at the NCAA letter level. I think uh, I think you're spot on. I think the Boston Bruins are looking to definitely bring him up and sign him and get him straight on to the Providence Bruins because that's where he's going to get more growth. I mean, look at his season as a freshman in the NCAA. I mean, that's like. That's like junior, senior level, like quality of play. I mean, the kid is just bounds above and beyond what a lot of even those older players in the NCAA are. It's crazy. 
Yeah, but also also keep in mind that he had an outstanding USHL final year with the Green Bay Gamblers. He was defenseman yeah. of the year and so on. So there's a lot of accolades that go along with this type of player. And he's raw. I mean, this is a player that was a, a former forward and became a defenseman later on. That's something that a lot of people push back on me when I brought this out on Twitter for what it's worth, you know, um, saying that, you know, he's he hasn't played defense long enough to really have that trust yet. But that's why I lean on a lot of people like Dom on, on stuff like this. So, Dom, what do you, I, I know you didn't come out and say that it's, it's a definite going to happen and so on, but you did mention that you kind of have a feeling that it could happen too, correct? Guys, I'm going to be honest. I missed 90% of that conversation because I I don't know. I'm having technical issues here. So I have no idea what you guys were talking about. To sum um, it up quickly, uh, Mason Lorai, you know, the comments. Well, I know it started with Brady Lyle, so I'm going to go there first. Okay. Okay. Uh, Brady Lyle has regressed. And... Um, the Bruins have brought in Grant Gabriel for next season, Jacob Wilson, uh, Mike Callahan. They got Jack Deshaun to resign. They have to make a decision on Nick Wolf. Uh, they got G- JD Greenway sitting in Maine. Uh, Cody Curran is a UFA. Aaron Ness is a UFA. Tyler Lewington is a UFA. They've already got eight bodies under their control for Providence next year. Lyle would have made nine. Lori, if he comes out, makes 10. So it, it, it's a question of space, roster spots. And with Lyle regressing, he was the odd man out. Um, as for Lori, all I can say is that I know personally the Bruins would like him to return to school for one more year. But if Lori wants to turn pro, the decision is his. They will sign him. Okay. Okay. It's as as simple as that. I don't know. I've heard which way he's leaning, and I'd rather not say because uh, I like to protect my information. So, um you know, we're going to find out soon enough. I think the one that's interesting is Johnny Beecher and what he's going to do uh, once, uh, what is it, next Saturday is the NCAA final. Yep, in Boston at TD Garden. Yeah, they got to win Thursday first, right? Right. Uh, I think from everything I've been told, he's turning pro as soon as he's done. So it's a total revamp of the Providence roster for next season. Total revamp. Uh, Ian McKinnon looks like he's gone with uh, signing Joey, uh, a bait out of uh, Nebraska, Omaha. Um, Cameron Hughes is a group six UFA. I mean, there's a lot of bodies going out and a bunch of new ones coming in. <laughs> Even look at the goaltending. Grosnick, like you said, had a great game last night, is a UFA making three hundred and fifty grand on a two-way contract playing in the AHL. And he's, having a, and he's having a fantastic year yeah. for, for a 32-year-old. Yeah. Kalen Booth becomes a group, group six UFA. 
Jeremy Broder is still under an AHL contract, is a UFA. The only guy they have the rights to is Kyle Kaiser, who's a restricted free agent. Now, we all know they brought in a big kid, so I'm sure we'll get to him, but... It's a perfect segue. I mean, Boston Bruins did add the goaltending depth by adding NCAA Western Michigan University, uh, Brandon uh, Boosie. Am I saying that correctly? Bussy, Boosie? Boosie. Boosie. Boosie, yeah. Boosie. Boosie, okay. Um, he had a good campaign for 2021-2022 and got the Broncos uh, far in this year's regional tournament. So uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that signing? Big athletic goaltender who can steal games for you. And, uh, you know, like I, I said, they're they're down to one goalie. They were down to one goalie uh, for next year, and that was Kyle Kaiser, if they even choose to re-sign him. I mean, I'm hearing there's other goaltenders out there, uh, NCAA free agents that could be in for the taking, um, but we'll wait and see. I, I don't think they want to give up on Kaiser uh, just yet because of the injury history they've had, but with Boosie and Kaiser manning the net in uh, Providence uh, and with Swayman and uh, uh, Allmark at the NHL level, and then you got uh, Phillips Vedebeck, uh heading college next year. Uh, you've got some decent and good goaltending depth. Now, I, I know quickly, I know you guys don't like to, well, I well Dom, I know Dom doesn't like to make NHL comparisons, but for this Boosie kid, Boosie, I love saying it, Boosie, um, do you think he could be comparable to like, a Markstrom just based on size and, and, you know, the ability to steal a game. I'm not good at comparisons either. So, um, yeah, I would say Boosie's a little more athletic. The, the thing about Markstrom is he never gives up on a puck. Mm-hmm. He can, you, he could look like he's down and out of the play and all of a sudden find a way to make that save. Um, I I would need to see that from Boosie at the at the professional level to say that he's at the Markstrom comparable. Uh, it's one thing to do it in college; it's a different thing to do it in the AHL or NHL. So uh, before I go that far, I'd like to see him um, at least through half a season at the AHL level. Gotcha. For for me, this goaltending depth addition is um, is a low risk, possible high reward kind of replacement for Dan Vladar and his size. Um, I think that uh, Bob Asenza and and Mike Dunham worked very well with Dan when he was with the Boston Bruins organization, particularly when he got that high ankle sprain up in Laval, Quebec, um, against the Rocket, and uh, was was out for several weeks. But during that rehab and and and, and re- rehabilitation. And so on. They work well with him, and um, I think that he's he's not going to be like the replacement. But like I said, it's just a a, a, a solid signing um, to get somebody a bigger netminder in the fold. Because like like Dom said, we don't know what's going to happen with with Troy Grosnick if he's not if he's coming back or not. We don't know about Kyle Kaiser, so we, we do need to get somebody else involved. Um, 
Not every move is for the NHL. It's also for sustainability in your minor pro levels. I know a lot of people push back on me saying, we don't need a goalie. We need a scorer. Why are we getting goalies? It's, it's part of the process. You could just you got to take your blinders off of just the NHL and look deeper in the organization because, you know, you always need somebody next up. The next man up always has to happen regardless of what position you play on the ice. So I, I think that getting a guy like this involved and, and I mean, Dunham was a big goalie, was a big goalie. I think that he translates well with uh, with 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 uh, bigger net minders and 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 keeping them calm in the crease. And, and that's what they did with Vladar. It, it was it was less movements for, for Vladar, but better puck positioning and and so on. So um, I, I think it's a solid move. Um, you know, it seems like it's a, he's a hardworking kid. And the biggest thing I took out of this whole thing was, and I'm not sure who said it, but it was his ability to keep learning and developing that was more attractive uh, for a goaltender at his age coming out of college. So um, they believe that they can continue to work on this guy. And, and he's a, a small piece, probably in the p- bigger picture. Who knows? But th- those are the risks you have to take with young players like this. And like McLaughlin, uh, Boosie got offers from, from what I'm hearing, at least a dozen NHL teams. Uh, but like McLaughlin, for him, it was Boston. And it was only Boston. That's where he wanted to be. And all they had to do was offer him a contract. And yep. he was signing on the dotted line. And one thing I do want to add about Boosie is um, – is- I wrote an article about a quick, a quick one, but I added a video when he was at Western Michigan about his goalie mask and, and what it meant to him. And uh, Boosie has a, uh, a brother that's autistic. And I thought that that was a, uh, a really cool thing to do to honor his, his, his younger uh, sibling. And um, you know, that's, that shows a lot of character in my opinion, you know, it's, it's not just, yeah. you know, it, I really liked that. Uh, the video was only a couple minutes long, but it really spoke volumes to me about how much he cares for family and friends. And, and you know, that's the type of thing that you see the Boston Bruins really address when it comes to character. When you look at all these movements with Providence and stuff like that, it, it starts to make you think about the NHL roster too and, and where, where they're going to need to go in a form of um, – you know, their roster spots and the news out of the general managers meetings in Florida this week is that the NHL salary cap will be going up a million dollars to 82.5. Is that enough for the Bruins to work with if they don't, you know, win it all this year to go in all next season? What do you guys think? That's why I I brought this up on the agenda because I wanted to talk to Dom about it because um, you, you're just a fantastic person that does your research on cap friendly and puckpedia whatever which one you use but you you provide some really good cap information but this this one's to you dom is 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 this enough to really push the needle forward i know it doesn't sound like a lot of money but what are your thoughts yeah i think the bruins are well positioned cap wise i is one thing i'd never worry about is the cap because if you have to move out money uh there are ways to do it i.e john moore uh at at trade deadline so i don't worry about it uh where where i think i i think evan gold has set the bruins up for the next two years because not next year the following year we could be seeing 
a cap anywhere from the 85 million to 87 million dollar range wow i know i know that the experts out there are predicting we won't see it till uh 24-25 season but that's where i see it so uh by the end of that season the the, the players shall have paid back the owners just about everything that they owed them in the 50 50 split because of the pandemic so i think the bruins cap wise are set up much better than a lot of the quote unquote contenders and i have no worry about the cap if if anything that million dollars helps all those other teams that have to go into long-term injury reserve space uh more than it helps out the bruins vegas yeah <laughs> Vegas, Tampa, Toronto, uh, Montreal, even though they're a bottom dweller, um, you name them. That million dollars helps them out more than the Bruins. So, you you know, you're going to see Chris Wagner back in the AHL, which will save them another million bucks, only cost 225 grand towards the cap. I imagine that somebody like Riley or Forbert are are gone one or the other but not Mm -hmm. both i think you'll see jacob zaboral resign at um i don't know probably a connor clifton one million dollar a year deal for one maybe two seasons i think clifton when he signed his was uh was for three years um so they have maneuverability I mean, you got to think that the roster, other than Patrice Bergeron, is pretty much locked up for next year. That's interesting. You know, you say they'll sign, they'll trade one of Riley or Forbort, and they'll sign a guy like Zaboral. Um, It's interesting to me because Zaboral is a left shot. Now, can he play right side at all, or is he strictly left side? Definitely. He he can't play right side. Don't forget, he was in junior hockey. He was paired with... uh, Thomas Shabbat of the yep. Ottawa Senators, right? Yep, I remember that. And, and played predominantly the right side. In, in fact, through junior, he played the right side a hell of a lot more than he played the left side. And even Cassidy has used him on the right side on occasion. So I would say that he's as good on the right side as he is on the left side. And I know it was only 10 games into the season this year before he got injured. Of all the Bruins defensemen uh, that that they've used this year, he was probably the best at being able to play his offside. I don't know if the best is the right term, but he was the most capable of playing the offside. It makes sense. Okay. So give me – all right, so if I had to choose between trading either Riley or Forbort, I'm trading Forbort. Because I think Riley, I mean, even though Riley has the better value, I think his better value is on your team. And if you can have a Riley Zaboral third pairing, I think you're in a great spot. Well, to, to touch on that real quick, Riley has better transition than Forbert does. So that that itself right here, it speaks higher volumes, in my opinion. But Fulbert also has that kind of shutdown mentality, the bigger body in front of the net and can move uh, a player. Not saying Riley can't do that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I would honestly say Riley would be a, a little bit higher on the echelon, in my opinion. 
Cassidy likes to use a shutdown guy with with a player that can transition. And Zaboral can transition. Yep. Uh, um, let's talk a little bit about Hampus Lindholm. Okay. Oh, yes, please. Um, as good as Lindholm is, and I forget whether it was Jack or Brick that said it during the, the broadcast, that Lindholm makes McAvoy better and McAvoy makes Lindholm better. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with that. As great mm-hmm. as the numbers were, the analytics with Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy, they're on a different level with Lindholm and McAvoy. And you can see it in McAvoy's game. <laughs> the four or five games that uh, since they've acquired Lindholm. He's free to be Charlie McAvoy now because he knows he has Hampus Lindholm back there to save his bacon, if if I can call it that. Whereas with Matt Grizzlick there, um, I don't think McAvoy was afforded that, that freedom uh, knowing that he had to also worry about defense, if that makes any sense. Total sense. 100. I mean – I've been saying I've been saying this going back to the big the 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 one that I really like to use um, as an example. Even though I don't think that Eric Carlson and Charlie McAvoy have similar games, they have different games. Uh, Carlson's more of an offensive-minded guy, but there's no way in hell um, that that um, Eric Carlson was ever going to have the Norris season that he did if it wasn't for having a guy like like Gonchar. Um, no, sorry, Mark Mathot um, yep. to his left. There was no way. Yep. Lindholm is that guy. Lindholm, I've been beating this drum since before the season even started that I wanted this guy in here really freaking bad. And as the season went along and the Ducks were doing good and this and that, you know, people were telling me it's probably not going to happen because the Ducks are doing good. Uh, you know, I'm like, wait for them to come back down to earth. You're going to see they'll come back down to earth. They will trade the guy. It will happen. And here he is. Boston Bruin, ah, my God, I'm my enthusiasm is through the roof because and then and then when we did get him or even before we got him, you had people saying, "Oh, well, look at his player card. Look at the colors on his player card. He's not that good anymore." Blah blah blah. He's regressing. No, he's not. He's playing on Anaheim. He's playing with a 19 year old defensive pairing guy on the top pairing. Drysdale. Yeah, it, it, the analytics piss me off sometimes because it doesn't tell the whole damn story. Right. Lindholm is a fantastic player. He's a top-pairing defenseman who you now have at $6.5 million. $6.5 million. And I think that is I think that is going to be a steal of a contract in a year. In a year, I think you're going to be looking at that contract and being like, God, he should be making seven point five. Like he's that freaking good. And like Dom said, you're seeing it already. It looks like the guy has been a Bruin his whole career in the first five games that he's played for us. I mean, what's there not to love about this top pairing? This they, top they pairing, it's, they got to be top five. They they bring out the best in each other. They challenge each other to, to be better. And uh, if one makes a mistake, the other one's right there. But – Nobody can tell me if they take their uh, gold color glasses off that you haven't seen a noticeable difference in Charlie McAvoy 
and his willingness and ability to jump up and go on offense. Uh, nobody can tell me they haven't seen that difference between playing with Lindholm and playing with Grizzlick. No matter how good the the analytics said Grizzlick and and McAvoy were, because right. they are on another level, way beyond, way way beyond a Grizzlick McAvoy pairing. And and that main reason is because Grizzlick is not a top pairing guy. I think he's a good number four guy in your defense, but beyond that, I, I he was playing he was playing two positions above where he should be, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, he's a number four guy who can transition the puck well, give you a, a decent two, you know a, a decent to good two way game. I like Grizzlick. I think he's a top four guy, but like we talked about before on this podcast, a guy like Jack Ashan, the reason why he won't ever be able to be considered a top line guy. Sorry, a top pairing guy. It's because the size isn't there. And sometimes it is about size. It really is. At 5'9", it's really tough to be a top pairing guy. It's really tough. I mean, there's so many aspects to the game that you have to be able to account for. You're going up against the team's best players night in, night out on a top pairing. And I don't think Grizzly has the frame to be able to hold up for that. I mean, maybe regular season situationally. Sure. I'm totally fine with that pairing, but in the playoffs, it's not. If you were to tell me there was a Stanley cup winning team with Matt Grizzly as your top pairing left, left shot defenseman. I tell you, I tell you, you're lying. It, it just, it can't be a thing. And I I know the analytics darlings out there are going to come from my head, but I don't care. You know, there's more to it than analytics and reading a card. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think you've got to look at it and I know that others have talked about this at nauseum, but when, when you have the option in a game seven to have Charlie McAvoy or Hampus Lindholm out there for 50 minutes of a 60 minute game versus uh, a Charlie McAvoy or a Mac Grizzlick. 40 minutes a game, I'm taking my chances with the former over the latter every yeah. single time. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's all about the calmness that you're seeing in Charlie McAvoy now. He just seems like he's a, a more relaxed player, uh, that he knows yeah. that the defensive liabilities can be relied on with with a with a, a pairing like Lindholm and his experience. And, and to get him into the fold for eight years at his age right now is is – is certainly a, a, a good one um, because both of them are going to thrive on that top parent for a long, long time. And the, and, and, and another good thing about Lindholm is, is, is not versatility uh, left to right shot and so on, but it's, it's where he can go in the lineup. He can also be slotted down if needed, not saying it, it's going to happen on the regular, but um, if you need that depth, you need to pick it up on a certain line. He could be dropped down with a with a guy like Carlo and so on. If Carlo could, you know, struggles, but I wouldn't I wouldn't make that move, uh, you know, to for a permanent one either. But he, we've known Bruce Cassidy to shuffle things around as well. Yeah, and and Lindholm does have some offensive flair to his game too. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, in in like in like Dom said, this guy can transition the damn puck. Yeah. I think he might be the best on this team at transitioning the puck from east to west. I mean, I really do. East to west? East to west, yeah. I think north-south, it's McAvoy. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and to bring this a little bit further, like we were talking about earlier, the Boston Bruins like to construct their team where they have a transitional puck mover with a shutdown type guy. Well, Lindholm is all that in the same package, but now you have McAvoy able to jump up on the offense, like you were saying, a lot more. And then now you have Grizzlick, who is who can who does have a lot of offensive capabilities, who can now show those a lot more because he's next to a guy like Brandon Carlo, who can save his bacon. And you, and he do, you don't have to. I mean, Carlo can have this type of offensive type nights. He can have them, but mainly he's a guy who likes to be positional. He likes to stay his lane. He likes to make sure that he's you know keeping you know his end nice and tight. He likes to make sure everything is good there. So I think that allows kind of like how McAvoy is allowed to jump up on the offense. I think Grizzlick now has that. Now, of course, we need to see more from uh, Carlo. Uh, as far as being able to be that steady presence guy, because uh, he's been kind of weird this season. But hopefully yeah. that pairing will be solid, you know, and then Fulbert Riley, you'd have the same thing there. You'd have the shutdown guy in Fulbert, Riley, that transitional guy who can jump in on the offense. I think I think the defense, if if this especially if this third pairing works out well, I think your defense is pretty solid. Yeah, because I I think that's what Clifton's issue was is the last few games is he's trying to become that transitional guy, and he just isn't. Yeah, you know he's great for a rush here or there, but he was trying too much to be that transitional guy on the third pairing. Um, mm-hmm. Another guy that I really think we need to talk about. Um, heading into the playoffs and I say playoffs speaking of now because we really are in the playoffs right now where every game every point uh every shift means something in terms of positioning for the playoffs so we really are in the playoffs right now and that's Trent Frederick um Mm. okay Great, great pass on that McLaughlin goal. We already touched on that. But his game, this is what Trent Frederick's game is suited for. Playoff hockey. And uh, we saw it uh, against New Jersey. Um, There were times he was in beast mode. Uh, We didn't see it against Toronto. Um, We didn't see it from anybody. But you go back over the last couple of games that – this is what is suited for him. And and a lot of what the third line does moving forward is going to be dependent on how Trent Frederick um, brings his game to the next. Not so much Charlie Coyle, but Trent Frederick. Now, I'm not calling him a driver because I think Coyle's still the driver on that line. <laughs> and I'm not calling him the goal scorer because... Uh, Craig Smith is still the goal scorer on that line. But for it all to connect is going to come down to Trent Frederick. And and I'm curious on your thoughts on that. I, I like the third line for three different reasons. Because up the middle, you have Charlie Coyle, who is a master at the puck possession, in my opinion. Okay. Kind of that Yager type of style that just puts that ass out there and, and you know, just – uh, blocks anything that's coming at him. 
you have the the toughness, the grittiness in Trent Frederick on the left side that can you know bring some jam to that line, but you also have a shooting um, aspect of of uh, Craig Smith on the right side who seems to like, just get that puck and and just fire it on net and and like a comparable, it's probably not a fair comparable, but it's like the way that uh, Chris Kreider, the New York Rangers is playing this year. He is absolutely on fire this year. I I think he's already got maybe 40 goals. Uh, I think he passed that plateau recently, but Kreider this year has also kind of like similar to Smith. Once he gets the puck, it's a split second and he's just firing it on net and, and creating options, whether it be a goal or a second opportunity for somebody crashing the net. And I kind of, I like that in the line because you get three different aspects of, uh, of, of different game styles on that third line. And I think that's why it's been so successful right now. Frederick, um, nine points in 14 games since March 1st. Who would have thought we'd be saying that? Yeah. And a lot of people just don't have the patience uh, for him because he's a former number one pick and he's not scoring 40 goals and so on. And everybody pretty much, well, not everybody, but most of the fan base just thinks that he, they, they expect more from him. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the guy. He's going he's gonna to contribute in other ways of the game that are going to keep him in the lineup. Late round first pick, you're lucky that you got a, a third liner out of that. I mean – there's so many busts around that point, you know, for certain drafts. I mean, it's, you got a good solid third liner. Who's going to play you some playoff hockey. I mean, he's more valuable than a Pat Maroon. In my opinion. Yeah. The guy can actually put the puck in the net. He can, he can, you know, he can bruise, he can bruise the body. Uh, It's great to see. And then, you know, Smith, he's a volume, a volume shooter. He's going to get that puck where it needs to be. Coil, like you said, really heavy puck possession. Try getting the puck from him. Try. I mean, it's tough. That guy will just hold on to the puck and do circles around the offensive zone until someone is out of position. He'll make that pass that needs to be made. The puck will be on net. Frederick will be there to scrape in a rebound, or, or Smith will be there to rifle one home. It's just it, – it's a beautiful – Beautiful makeup they have there. This might be our best third line since Kelly Peverly in Ryder. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. We have hit the uh, hour mark. So we're going to take our hour break and hear from Boston sports and music memorabilia's own Bruce Sullivan. And he's got some fantastic stuff to spice up your fan cave. And this, this month it is April folks. So, this month, we're giving away a Jerry Cheever's hand side, fully authenticated jersey to a winner uh, that is selected. And it's just for a dollar. So if you go to details at patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast, you can get involved in weekly Boston Bruins related giveaways and these awesome jerseys from Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Marabilia. So uh, we'll talk on the other side as soon as we hear from Bruce and we'll be right back. <laughs> Hello Bruins fans, this is Bruce from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia with our Black and Gold Memorabilia Moment of the Week. We are celebrating number 30, Hall of Famer and two-time Stanley Cup champ Jerry Cheevers. For a limited time, grab a white or black autographed and dual inscribed Cheevers jersey for just $69. Take home a JSA authenticated Cheevers puck, 
or iconic mask photo for just $34. We are pleased to announce some big upcoming April signings. On April 24th, we've got the man himself, Jerry Cheevers, and Miracle on Ice gold medalist, Dave Christian. For more information on our dozens of Bruins hand-signed pieces and your chance to win free memorabilia each week, check us out at our Facebook page, Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia, or email us directly at bostonsportsandmusic at gmail.com. And be sure to tune in each week right here to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Let's go! What's up, Bees fans? We are back. I just heard from the amazing, the amazing Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. He's got all the fantastic stuff to spice up that fan cave and get that stuff black and gold everywhere. Uh, please uh, go back and check out uh, his email to contact him. Go to the Facebook page and like and subscribe over there, uh, and you'll get some free giveaways because he does really cool things. Like just for liking and sharing a picture, he'll send you one of these if you win. This is a Don Marcotte hand-signed um, picture, seventy seventy two Stanley Cup. This is the kind of stuff that he does. So we are back talking bees hockey, and and before we – took our break dom uh mentioned something about something that could crap our pants and and i'm i'm really really excited to hear about this not about crapping pants and so on but the news <laughs> that dom uh has potentially for us so dom why don't you take it away my friend well it's not really news but a, a, an interesting topic and i mean we've already touched on the goaltending and a lot of the defense and how Trent Prairie could be key to the third line um, so I'm going to suggest this is we'll probably have Bruins fans shitting their pants or <laughs> pulling their hair out or something, but I put on depends just for this. So let's okay. go. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to suggest that the key to the first line is going to be Jake DeBrusque because we already know what we're getting in Bergeron. We already know what we're getting in Marshawn. But it could be hit and miss with with Jake DeBrusque. And if what we saw against New Jersey is the best that he can bring and he can bring out he can bring that through the playoffs, man, that's gonna be a terrific line. Mm-hmm. DeBrusque is playing like a top six forward at yep. the moment. <laughs> and that's what you need. And there was a lot of question marks on Oh, well, you know, he was playing well because he wanted to be traded. Now he's not traded. So now, you know, he's just going to go back to being the old DeBrusque. That, that that never stood true in my mind because he still needs to play well. Yeah, he, still, he still has a long career ahead of him. If you want yeah. to be known for, you know, your your abilities, you have to be able to show them on the ice. And if you want to get those opportunities to be a top six forward, you have to play like it. So Jake DeBrusque needs to do that. Regardless if he's got his contract, he's going to need another contract in two years. Do you want to continue to make $4 million or do you want to make more? Or, you know, do you not want to regress and make less? You know, it's like you need to be able to stay. And it's not only that too. It's about showing up and playing the game that you love the game you played your entire life to get you to the point where you are now. 
on a top line with arguably the greatest defensive center defensive centerman to ever play the game, one of the best left wingers in the game today. That's where you are. Embrace it. Have fun with it. And he is right now. And I think that's great to see. And like Dom said, I think that is a huge determining factor for this top six because if your top two lines are what you have, they can go up against the best of them. I I will say this. And I mean, I know a lot of the personal stuff that that went on behind behind the scenes. A lot of stuff out there being said about Bruce Cassidy and and Jake DeBrusque, which is totally false. I can tell you guys, just don't believe it. Um, But I I talked to some people because watching on TV, you don't get to see the reaction, uh, how he reacts to different situations, how the coaches react to him how his teammates react to him. So I talked to these fans (coughs) who have one time or another not had great things to say. And why is he still here? Why did they sign him to a new contract? And I mean, it goes on and on and on. I said, okay, you're in the arena. Forget the game. Don't watch the game. For the next two and a half hours, your responsibility is to watch Jake DeBrusque. How is he in the pregame skate or warm-up? How is he on the bench? How is he reacting to his teammates when they do something good? How are his teammates reacting to him? How is How are the coaching staff reacting to him? How is he reacting to the coaching staff? Uh, we, we caught a glimpse of it on tv unfortunately they cut away real quick uh after his goal in jersey where bruce cassidy went up to him was giving him a uh the tap on the shoulder and unfortunately the the tv camera walked away and i had these people message me back and it's like you're right man like he loves his teammates he loves his coaches and they love him so I don't buy that, all that, why is he still here? He's not worth anything and nobody wanted to pay the price for him. It's like, you have to know the whole story and and what's going on behind the scenes. So, um, like I said, I know what we're getting in, in Bergeron and Marchand, but he's the key to that, that first line. Not that he's the driver, because Marchand's the driver. Uh, not because he's the rat on that line or he's the physical person on that line. It's how he embraces it now and how he moves forward into the playoffs that could be the difference between winning and losing. Yep. And and for me, when you talk about Jake Zabrask, it was it was hard for me to see him being placed on his off wing, but it's working. It's definitely working right now. He's, he seems to be getting a whole new level. And I, and I know the frustrations when the contract came out. A lot of people went absolutely nuts. But that opens up a lot of avenues for several different aspects of, of Jake DeBrusque. Um, number one, it's the player. It's what you're getting right now on that line and the point production. He's got goals in the last three games. He's, he's seemed very comfortable, and he's happy about playing hockey again. The second thing is 
is if he's doing really well and he still wants to move, his value is just rising every game he plays well. And if we get this type of Jake DeBrusque in the playoffs, I know I've said it, other teams are going to see the playoff DeBrusque. And they're going to want to get more involved in saying, hey, I might be a little more interested in this guy now. His value is higher. Now, I, I, we've talked about this several times on this podcast about Jake DeBrusque and his possibility of moving. Maybe Don Sweeney has a better idea about him and his landscape moving forward and not pulling the trigger on just because a player wanted to get moved and he didn't see the value in a trade at that moment, maybe signing him for two more years. It's more enticing for another team to come in and say, I want to take a chance on this guy. If he still wants to move, right. whether he, whether he stays the full two years or not, there's a lot of good things that are happening right here. You just can't put the goggles on and say he's playing well, he's playing bad. There's other aspects of, of, uh, of things that have to be explored before, before just, Poo-pooing a whole idea. And Don, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say, and Don Sweeney, like you said, you know, if he stays the two years of the contract, Don Sweeney still is not obligated to trade Dick, uh, Jake DeBrusque. He doesn't have to trade the player. It's clear that he's still happy enough in a situation to where if he had to play, even because let's, if Jake DeBrusque goes out there and plays the way he has been on that top line, you know, because like Dom said too, he's the key to that line. And the reason why is because if he's a passenger on that line, it's going to bring down Bergeron and Martian in their ability to be able to cycle the puck and create opportunities in that, in the, in the, in the offensive zone. So him buying in and playing and playing the way he has, if he does that throughout the playoffs, and let's say they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and they lose to the Hurricanes, let's say that's what happens. I think if you, I think your best bet moving forward, if he's still playing the way he's playing now and he's doing fantastic, is to pl- use him for another year in that window that you that they believe they have. I, I don't see you going out there and getting someone to come in to do much better. I don't, I don't see it, you know, for, for what the price would be. And the cap's only going up a mil and you have Bergeron, you need to sign. You you definitely want to sign Zaboral. You got to see what you have in Lazar. Um, you, I, I think he would be best utilized to keep him and play him because it's just one of those situations where you need to do what's best for your team. And if not trading Jake DeBrusque is what's best for your team, you got to look at him. I I don't know if this is true. I saw it this morning and I didn't crunch the numbers, but since he's played on the first line, he's on a 40 goal pace over an extended over an 82 game schedule. I I think that's right. You know, so I have said it. I have been on record as saying it, that I would not be the least bit surprised if Jake DeBrusque, rescinds his trade request in the offseason would not surprise me one bit the the effect that not just playing with them but the the effect personally on his personal life that brad marchand and patrice bergeron have had on him is you can't measure it it, it it's been that great so 
I think a lot of DeBrus issues, and I mean, he spoke about it, COVID being locked down, being by himself. He was homesick. Um, you know, it. he had some mental stress there. Um, you know, he's got a, a, a great girlfriend now that they've been, been together a while. The, the world is opening up. You, you just never know what's what's going through his mind. I, I think <laughs> if he got married, and I hate to say this because, I mean, if he got married and his girlfriend was now a wife and was with the other wives and, and, and things started to settle down with him, you, you just never know. But I would not be the least bit surprised if he rescinds, just as much as I wouldn't be surprised if he is traded. Right. right. No, I agree fully. Um, everything you said there. And I think another thing for DeBrusque is that he didn't know where he fit on this team. You had Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall was brought in. So that took his top six spot there. But, I mean, he also has to know that, you know, regardless of what he was struggling with during that COVID season, it just was not there for him to be a top six forward. It wasn't there. So now with him having that fit, on the top line with Martian and Bergeron, I mean, and playing the way he's playing at a 40, a 40 goal season um, pace, me speaking personally, not even as a Boston Bruins fan who would love, who would do anything to have the skill and to be able to put on a spoke B as my profession, just for any hockey team to be in a position like that. How could you not want that to continue going? Yeah. You know, it's so I can totally see what you're saying, Dom. Yeah, ride the hot hand. Absolutely. All right. What's next on the agenda, Kevo? I mean, we don't really have much here on the agenda, but I mean, let's just continue with this lineup. I mean, okay. you have you have that Taylor Hall, Eric Halla, and David Pasternak line. And a lot of people going into the trade deadline were saying that you cannot win with Eric Halla as your second line center. And I looked at every single person who would say that, and I would just smirk be like, says who? Because they, because the guy doesn't have a 90 overall rating on freaking NHL 22. He fits like a glove on that damn line. That's what you, you, I always try to say this. You have four, First line players, not even just top six, four first line players in your top six, which gives you the affordability to be able to place two of them on each line. And now from there, you plug and play and you look for the best fits. Eric Halla is that fit. You're not getting another guy to come in there and do what he's doing for cheaper. I'll tell you that. Exactly. And how this Boston Bruins team is doing it internally with him is the most um, impressive thing for me. You know, they didn't have to go out and get that big freaking number two center and pay a heavy price and spend up to the cap. Uh, I think we have six million in, in space, Dom. Is that correct? Oh, no, we're we're down. I actually have it right in front of me. If nothing remains unchanged right now, they'll end the season with. Seven hundred ninety-five thousand bucks wow. in cap space. Okay. Yeah, that was just deadline cap space, right? The six million. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I'm, I'm I'm just getting the numbers um, wrong, but uh, yeah. I mean, 
I like what we have. I like the way he battles. And it, there's a lot of good things to to smile about when you see uh, in, internal happenings like this. And we'll see where we go from here. I mean, whether that be that is addressed during the off season, if that's still a need, I, I mean, for me, I, I was on cap friendly recently and the, and the, uh, the center depth in free agency is a little thin. I think the highest one right now is a uh, Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm not sure if, uh, if Pittsburgh's going to want to resign him and I think they're going to, they're going to get in a little bit of a cap crunch themselves too. So that, that might be a player that walks, but there's really not much available in my opinion. I mean, there could be some suitable um, players that can come in and do a good job and so on, but are they the ones that are going to blow you away and, and get you over that threshold of a, of cup expectations if, the, if things don't work out this season? I, I look at Hollow like this, and it's funny because uh, just before we came on, I was I was writing uh, a prospect report on an OHL player and and his type of play. And immediately as, as I was writing it, I was thinking of Eric Hollow and his situation uh, because you cannot have a line that is made up of three players that are drivers, okay? If you bring in what people like to call a legit number two center, then that player is a driver. He's the one that drives the line. But you also have David Posternak who drives the line. You also have Taylor Hall that drives the line. It's it's good and it's okay to have two. Typically, you want to have one but it's okay to have two, but three is unheard of. And, and in most cases where I've seen it at any level of hockey, where you try to put three drivers on a line, it doesn't work because they all need the puck. They and all have to have the puck. Right. And I think the reason why these two work so well is because Hall at his core, is likes to likes the offense to flow through him. He likes to create plays at his right. core. Pasternak at his core loves to put the puck in the net. Yeah, this is why this combo works so damn well. And Eric Halla, the reason why he fits so well is because he allows it to happen. He allows it to happen, and he's there. Like, let's go to his goal um, the other night against New Jersey on Thursday night. Okay. That is an Eric Halla goal at its core. Yeah. He's agreed. in the dirty area looking for an opportunity. That is how he's made his career. And that's what makes him work so well with those two because he can be that guy to clean up a rebound. He can be that guy to make a breakout pass to get those two going. He can be that guy who can play well defensively to allow Pasternak to be able to jump up and, um, you know, not worry so much. And, and, Hall, and, and Hall is that type of player too, where his defensive game in Boston has been fantastic. And, and he learned a lot of that playing in New Jersey, which is funny uh, under their coaching yep. staff there. That's where he really learned about how to play a 200 foot game. And it translated so perfectly in Boston. Sometimes I, I watch that guy, 
you know, skate up and down the ice. He's, he's, he's up, he's up in the offensive zone. The puck's going the other way. He's back checking and breaking up a play. I mean, it's, it's great. I, the line has a perfect balance. And to say that you cannot win a Stanley cup with Eric Halla as your second line center in between two first line guys, I'm sorry. It just shows your hockey IQ. I'm sorry. And, I don't, to, I'll say to it. add to that. Kevin is he has the speed to be able to keep up and think with Pasternak and Hall and his skating ability allows him to create odd man situations where uh, let's say he's the late guy coming in on a, a three on two where he can head towards the puck carrier and now force that that defender to rethink what he's going to do because now he has to pay attention to to Halla and creates those opportunities for both Pasternak and Hall. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And 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 Hall and and Pasternak, they they create so much attention on themselves that it also allows Halla to get into those dirty areas untouched at times. Yeah. And it's just it's it's beautiful to see. I wish a lot. I wish more people would look at it the way we're looking at it here on this podcast. It's all about the damn fit. Yeah, and it's not about the name on the back of the jersey and how many jerseys he sold on NHL.com. I want to make a T-shirt. Seriously, if this line sticks together, I want to have the 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 pizza chef guy (laughs) going like that. Yeah. But but on the top, holla holla pasta. I love it. Like a you know, I love it. Be kind of down with it. I'm down with it. And you know, this if if the Bruins don't win a cup, it's not because Eric Holla was the second line center. But if they don't win a cup this year, you will see all the people coming out. Told you you couldn't win with Eric Holla as your second line center. I told you they needed JT Miller. (laughs) That's what you'll hear. All right. Well, we got about another 10 minutes if, if that's all right. Um, why don't we do some hashtag ask BNGs? We got two of them that were submitted. Um, this one right here. This is from Trigger. What's going on with Carlo lately? It looks like he needs to watch a game or two from above and have a hard reset. Hashtag ask BNG. Thoughts on Carlo's game and what we can see moving forward? Because like we said earlier, he did have a better bounce back against New Jersey than he did um, in the game against the Maple Leafs on Tuesday night. Well, for one, I don't think sitting him up top is going to be beneficial for him or the team. I think you're just going to allow this player to work through um, whatever it is. I mean, even if that's just, you know, the teammates lending him an ear so he can talk to them about whatever issue may be going on. Because I don't think it's medically. I don't think he has an issue as far as his physical, you know, self. I don't see that. Um, I, I think it might just be a head thing right now. And it goes back to those concussions. Um, for me, you know, he, he has these weird, timid times throughout the season, these timid stretches where it's almost like he's looking over his shoulder, wondering if he's going to get concussed. That's what, that's just the feeling I get from it. 
if that's true, Kevin, that's what they have a team psychologist for. Right. Is right. to help him get through the issues he he has about whether he's worried about getting concussed again. Or NHL hockey is not a game that you can play in fear. And the minute you start playing it in fear is the is the minute you should hang up your skates. That's my belief. If if that's bothering him, then maybe he should sit out until he gets that worked out because there are times that he's hurting the team. But like you said, that's not the best thing for the team because if you sit him out, what are you doing? You're going to put Connor Clifton in there? You're going to put Josh Brown in there? They really don't have another choice. They'd probably have to move Lindholm to the right side. They don't have many, many options. So whatever it is, they have to work it out. They have to work it out in the next couple of weeks because they can't have uh, Brandon Carlo from Toronto. I don't want to use the Toronto game because everybody stunk that game. But they can't have Brandon Carlo, the bad Brandon Carlo, show up come May the 1st. They need the good Brandon Carlo. So they got to work it out. When it comes down to like sitting a player, oh, the echo was terrible. Um, When it comes down to sitting a player, um, you really don't want to see it on the defense because we have such a a short uh, line of defensemen on on the uh, roster. You're more apt to see something like that happen from the forwards. Um, Much like Holla. You know, Holla didn't play exactly great to, to start his uh, his first campaign as a Boston Bruin. But once he sat one game and saw from the ninth level and saw how the game played and, and you know, took it to heart, he came back and played very well after sitting like that. But you have more forwards that you can you can do that with than you do with defensemen. That's just my opinion. No, I agree 100%. I really do. Uh, it's one of those situations where – and it's especially on the right side. That's a spot where they they definitely are thinnest when it comes to um, a player who can jump in. On the left side, you can have a Riley, a Forbert, a Grizzlick, a Lindholm. Um, you know, you can have that. And now on that right side, like you said, I mean, after Carlo, there's a huge drop off. You got you got Clifton, and you got and you got Josh Brown. <laughs> Let me forward. ask you this: How different? would this defense be right now if Kevin Miller didn't retire? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I mean, having Kevin Miller in there behind Carlo would be a welcomed addition. Yeah. yeah. Physicality factor would be definitely up there. And, and, and he's not a liability. Right? No. And you, we already talked about Brady Lyle, but Brady Lyle was supposed to be the next Kevin Miller. With a little bit more of an of offensive touch there, like we got to see on – remember that pa- pass in the preseason that he had, the aerial, you know, flop over pass? Yeah. God, that was yeah. – when Bruins fans saw that, me included, th- they crapped their pants, as Dom likes to say there. They pooped. <laughs> they had depends on. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next one and the final uh, Ask BNG. This is from Angelo, our friend Ange. He's a fantastic uh, supporter, always doing amazing stuff for us at BNG. 
Um, does Bruce Cassidy have to be better managing his goal t- goalies down the stretch, specifically in game? Personally, I find Bruce Cassidy and goalie Bob wait too long to make the call when games are getting out of hand. An earlier switch could have made a difference <laughs> against the game against Toronto. Um, we touched upon this earlier too. Well, Dom yeah, did. did. Yeah. 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 But out of respect, I did want to bring this up for, for Ange because he did take the time to ask the question. Um, I, agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens with the way that Bruce wants to manage his uh, his goaltending. But I, I think that we just had a stinker uh, locked and loaded, and it was about to blow. And, and unfortunately, that was the game that did it. But I don't think that the plan should change because of uh, one game and, and one mishap. So um, moving forward, it's just, you know, you want to get, in my opinion, you kind of want to get equal games. I know that um, – uh, Swayman's young enough and so on, and he's got the trust from the staff. But also you want to keep Olmok fresh as well because it, what it, what happens if Swayman unfortunately goes down? Uh, you don't want a guy that's only played two games in the last freaking 30, 30 days. Um, but that's just my opinion, though. Or what happens if he craps his pants in the playoffs? You need Olmark to come in. You know, yep. you, you need yep. him to be fresh, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah. In that Toronto game, like Dom was saying earlier too, I definitely think uh, Swayman should have been pulled a lot earlier than he was. I uh, totally agree. Cause I don't think Allmark, I, I think he got pulled after the second, right. And Allmark came in and he didn't let up a goal. Yeah. I think yeah. Swayman let in what six. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have pulled him at four. That's personally, that's where I would have pulled him. Um yeah. Just because, just because of the amount of time that it happened into. Um, I mean, I think it was three goals in the first period. I, I mean, he didn't have that great of a game. I, I think if he makes two saves there, I mean, it's a 1-1 game going into the second period. It's a whole, it's a whole different game. You know, give it would have given the defense a, a little bit of time to kind of get their bearings back, um, you know, get up to speed there. But, I mean, I can't put it all on Swayman, of course. I can't do that. I'm never that type of person to put a loss on one person, especially a goaltender. Um, you know, he, he had a, an off game, but the defense in front of him had a definite off game as well. Um, so yeah, they need to definitely look at pulling a goaltender, um, at the right time. Um, for sure. All right. Yeah. Like I said, I would have pulled him after the first, to me, it was just, I, I knew he didn't have it after the first goal and that he wasn't going to have it that night, but sometimes you pull a goalie to send a message to the team and uh, making the switch in between periods. Look how the Bruins came out in the third. So, you know, if you did it at the end of the first, who knows what might have happened, right? We can, we can only guess, but the message was sent, the team reacted, but it was too little too late. And, but you also have to protect your goaltender. Um, so I can see why they waited, uh, you know, give him a chance to work himself through it. But he shouldn't have gone to the end of the second period. Um, we're going to be wrapping up this program because we're coming up to the two-hour mark. So I do want to uh, stop the tail off uh, on this. But um, I want to uh, dedicate this to uh, this episode 273 to my buddy who is no longer with us. Um, and here's a picture of my best friend and I sorely miss him. It's been about a week since he passed, but 
my boy Buster, um, unfortunately, last Friday um, was was laid to rest, and um, this one's for him. Uh, this 273 will always be in uh, the memory of my best friend. So uh, it was a tough day for my family, um, especially my dad. That was just his his uh, his OG. So um, I want to thank everybody for reaching out, especially Dom and and Kevin and so many people on Twitter that reached out with uh, kind condolences, uh, really made it very easy for me and my family. So um, shout out to my Bill, my boy B. Um, we're getting another dog, by the way. <laughs> of course. My, oh, yeah. My dad was just like, uh, uh, when he put him down on Friday, uh, it was like three hours later. He's just like, I got in contact with somebody in New York and we're going to go. And I was just like, Let's settle down. Once you go on vacation, he's going to Florida uh, in the middle of the this month. So after vacation, let's get the plans on getting another dog and making filling that void for my old man. So mm. um, that being said, let's talk about our Patreon, which has been doing really well lately. Um, and if you want to get involved in the Patreon and be eligible to win this jersey from this is um, Jerry Chiva's hand-signed 7072 Stanley Cup insignia. Really nice stuff from Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. And we also have pucks from the great Vern Flannan back in the day, Hall of Fame 1990, and Eddie Johnston. We still got these. And obviously, we got a couple of the Rick Middleton's hand-signed. So all of these, are, these are the weekly giveaways. The jerseys are given away every month. And this week's uh, Patreon winner is Casey Bowman out in Utah. So um, thank Utah. you very, very much for the contributions financially. And please uh, follow the details below and get yourself involved. I want to shout out Jared Martin from the um, the uh, Dump and Change Hockey Podcast. He recently contributed a $5 Patreon. So we truly appreciate you, sir. And, um, yeah, so we, we – like to pay the bills uh, in the uh, black and gold sports media company, but we also like to take half of that money that you contribute and roll it into these awesome giveaways that, that people really enjoy. And I also want to give a shout out to everybody here on the panel and also all the listeners, supporters, and people that just to love us. Um, but this month of March, we absolutely blew records away when it comes to downloads per month. We approached the 10,000 uh, download mark, and that has never been done here at BNG. So shout out to everybody here on this panel to make that happen, but also the, the support of the listeners and our friends that just continue to move our stuff forward. It really means a lot to us. So, um, you know, hopefully next month we can, we can cross that 10K uh, threshold and uh, blow this thing to the moon, my friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have um, there's uh, a couple of games that are coming up um, this week. Um, we do have the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets uh, tonight at TD Garden, which is going to finish this uh, short homestand. And then we go on the road uh, in Columbus on Monday, uh, April 4th. And then the next night, Tuesday, April 5th in Detroit. So uh, I, I believe we could win all three of these games if we put it all together. Um, Columbus is going to be one of those teams that are going to bring the grit factor. They're, they're probably out of the playoff picture right now. I, I kind of think. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. But so they're going to want to play spoilers. And then that they're the type of team that can really grind and lean on you and try to knock you off your game. So you, you need to be ready for that. 
and obviously Detroit is not very good this year either. So, but it's also another aspect that, you know, um, you know, they're going to want to play the spoiler. So we got a couple of good games that they need to take advantage of because um, the rest of the month is going to be tough. It's good. It's a real tough schedule. It's basically every other day with a couple um, of back-to-backs in it. So yeah, need to be prepared and um, let's go, let's get it. So, with that being said, I'm your host, Mark Allred. That's Kevin O'Keefe, and that's Mr. Don Tiano. We are the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, and we thank you so much for all the support, the shares, the retweets, and everything that you guys do for us. We can't get enough of you folks. So you know what we're going to do now, right? Wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. Mark, I, I have to do this. I know how you used to have Buster next to you for every game while watching on TV. So for Buster, my best Don Cherry imitation. Absolutely. Thanks, Dom. I appreciate that, buddy. Peace out. Peace out. (laughs) See you guys later. We'll talk next week. Peace out. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at blackandgoldpod at BNG Productions, at Black and Gold 277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out. <laughs>